Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Robert. Yes. I would I would love for you to do something right now. And maybe even listeners too if they're up for it. Okay. And their hands are free. Yeah, yeah, no not if you're driving. Or just yeah, or even your dominant hand. Okay. Could you take your finger from your dominant hand and trace a Q on your forehead? Uppercase, if you're wondering. Okay. With just my finger, not with like a Sharpie or something. Uh, you okay. can do it with a Sharpie if you want, but okay. I wouldn't recommend it. Okay, just just unless finger. you All want right. some extra flair today. All right, there we go. Done. Okay. What I want to know is the little tail on the queue. Mm-hmm. Which side did you draw it on? Uh, let's see. It was on the right side. Ah, very revealing. Um, okay. You are apparently not a good liar. Oh, okay. I so, know. Sounds weird. Uh, I mean, I'm sure you're going to explain how this works, but this is this is the thing, right? Right side for the little uh, thing on the queue. Mm-hmm. That means I'm a bad liar, but if I had gone left on you. Yeah. And you would have been impressed by well, the line. I would have it. been like, ah, okay, if you had drawn it on the left, that would have meant that you were anticipating the way that it was going to look to me. Okay. Um, and this is actually uh, the Q test uh, from the Guardian article, The Truth About Lying and Laughing. Why isn't this done in job interviews and just, you know, in general? You know, like anytime you meet a new person, you should just require that they draw a Q on their forehead. Or everyone be labeled accordingly, like well, the sneeches. because people will get hip to it, and then they'll start training themselves to oh, yeah. to draw it on the right or the left. Or who knows? And then, it, and then it ends up playing out exactly like the sneeches, where everyone has yes. different versions of the cue on their head, and nobody knows what's what. And, but for the next five minutes, it, it's super secret, and you can try it on anybody that you know. Um, so it, it is interesting uh, where the person places that tail because uh, it's a really a test of something called self-monitoring. And high self-monitors draw the letter Q, so like you said, on the on the left so that someone can see it and others on the right. And uh, so high self-monitors are concerned with how other people see them. And uh, they, they are usually able to adapt their behavior to suit a situation in which they find themselves. And they're skilled at manipulating i.e. they're good liars. Uh, so what is a lie, right? I mean, we need to get down to it. And and uh, this is such a fascinating subject, really. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, on the surface, it, it doesn't sound so much because lying is such an, an everyday part of our lives. Even if you're not a liar or a, you know, or or someone who just lives and breathes lies, you still kind of do. It's it's and I, and I think like a great example of this and, so, and people are going to be split on this, but. The movie The Invention of Lying, the Ricky Gervais. I did not vehicle, see that. Um, has, you know, immensely talented cast. Uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of, uh, of stuff uh, Gervais has done in the past, but I was really disappointed in the film. I felt like it didn't really deliver the funny and it didn't really deliver on anything all that, um, mentally amusing either. So do you think that it got to the heart of lying, though? In, in a way, it did through failure, I feel like. <laughs> and, and and again, I'm, I'm sure I've, I've heard people that were like, oh, that film was brilliant. Uh, but I think the film, by trying to create a world where there was no lying, even in the, the whole thing is that it's it's our world, except there's no lying. in mm-hmm. it. And then one guy accidentally invents the lie uh, lying and it becomes this big thing. Uh, and again, it gives him all these powers. But they weren't really like like you can't envision our world without lying like it, everything falls apart and and then humor becomes really hard to pull off as well and um and i i think it, we really have to take a step back and look at what lying is and just what how 
powerful a force it is. Because, I mean, we effortlessly lie, even if you don't lie all that much. Yeah. It's really easy to roll one off. But I, I, I really encourage everyone in this podcast to, to take a step back and really think of it uh, in different terms. And, well, uh, I think most people think of it in uh, a negative light, right? Because well, yeah. it's not good to lie, right? Normally, normally. But I think what we're going to explore is when it is good and why it's actually necessary to our very existence. Yeah. So, yeah. So, indeed, let's first get rid of the whole. I mean, we almost need a different word for it. Um, uh, and and uh, there are some different words being for it, economical but, with the truth. Yeah. But you know, that kind of feels like a lie in itself. Doesn't it is. Well, yeah. any euphemism for a lie is a lie, right? Well, there you go. That actually uh, breaks down some of the, the stuff here about the linguistic power of mm-hmm. lying, because so many parts of language are really akin to lying. Uh, like a simile is kind of uh, is, 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 is akin to lying in, in a way, you know. Uh, yeah. And then uh, so many figures of speech, uh, whether you're saying um uh, that guy literally stabbed me in the back. Of course, you're using language incorrectly in this case, but the literally but, part. But it's a complete lie. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and even if you said, "Man, he stabbed me in the back," and you're not, um, and you're not adding that literally, that totally screws it all up. Even if you're just just using that that uh, bit of speech there, okay. you're lying. But but you're using a lie to make a point and make a comparison. Well, there are different types of lying too. You, you can do it sometimes um, to avoid responsibility and repercussions, right? Uh, yeah, and this is this is kind of like the, the like a basic. Hey, did you unload the dishwasher? Uh, yeah, I unloaded the dishwasher. Yeah. Well, that no, you'd get called on that. What's a better example? Well, of? just uh, I think you had a good example the other day where you said, yeah, in grade school that you had drawn something on the floor, oh, and yes. uh, to avoid uh, the repercussions of that, you you. Uh, Fingered another kid in the class and said, "Ah, he did it." Well, it was a little more nefarious than that because I wrote his name on the floor. So oh, I was, that's right. I, I was, I was planning ahead with mm-hmm. this crime. Um, so I, yeah, I, I framed this guy. A better example would be when I cut my sister's hair uh, when I was like, I don't know, I was like four or something, and she was a couple of years younger than me, and uh, I, I, she had like uh, pigtails, and mm-hmm. I cut one of them off with a pair of scissors, and I put the scissors and the pigtail in her hand. And framed her for it. And, uh, <laughs> you gotta watch out for you, yeah. man. So there's an example. I framed her because I wanted to avoid the wrath of my mother. Right, right. So that's, that's a, that's one of the reasons why you would do it, um, to save your reputation, right? You might yeah. lie to save your rep, uh, avoid hurting someone's feelings. Yeah, a classic white lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, boost your ego. And when I say that, I'm, you know, it could be the sort of information you present about yourself mm-hmm. via Facebook. Um, you know, anything. Really, and that—that's kind of a, a lie we tell ourselves too. You get into this whole area oh, yeah. of lies is not just something that uh, we use externally, but right. we uh, we reflect in on ourselves. And you get into this whole weird area of just the manipulation of our worldview yeah. in our in our perceived reality via lies. Yeah, and we'll talk about self deception too. Why that's important yeah. um, in a bit as well. But we also do it to manipulate people. We lie to manipulate, and we we lie in the sense that we control the amount of information given. Sometimes we don't always tell the whole truth, right? Mm-hmm. Or if someone asks us a question, we don't uh, necessarily say a yes or no, or you know, you might just even remain quiet and let them make an assumption. This is this is interesting. I have to. I was going to wait till later, but I'll go ahead and mention uh, this book I've been reading. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, is called uh, Embassy Town by China uh, Melville. Uh, he's a British uh, author of uh, sci-fi and fantasy, but it creates a scenario where you, a kind of a invention of lying scenario where mm-hmm. you have an alien race that have a really alien language that involve like uh, it, it's very difficult for the 
people in this book, uh, the humans, to communicate with the alien species. And uh, the aliens have evolved uh, so that they don't have uh, they don't have lies in their language. They don't have like they're they're intrinsically trustful species. Mm-hmm. And so you have. Uh, the, the, these aliens are really impressed by uh, humanity's ability to lie. Like they're really am- amused by it, especially when humans lie. Well, mainly when humans lie in their language because they've, they're incapable of doing it themselves. So to hear somebody say something that is not true, like totally blows their mind because it's, I mean, it's like, uh, it's like a hallucination or something like a psychedelic experience. They're saying something that's not true, but everything that we like, imagine if everything you could say is true and you were incapable of lying and you heard somebody lie. And you know, but but it was a bold faced lie. Like if they said the sky is purple, and it mm-hmm. clearly wasn't. Like it's that kind of situation where they're like, "Whoa, the sky is purple." No, it isn't. Oh my goodness! And they they get in this kind of uh, uh, you know this dissonance uh, playing uh, in their head. And so they work. They 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 themselves, these aliens, try to work up to lying. Uh, <laughs> so they'll do things like they'll they'll uh, they'll just they'll drop the last part of a sentence, or they'll they'll sort of uh, they'll, they'll omit information from a sentence in an attempt to sort of work their way up to telling a full-faced lie. Wow, that's interesting. And, um, I mean, when when I hear you talk about it that way, too, it makes me realize how much we are always constructing our own reality. Yeah. So through our own perceptions, but also actively through lying. Um, and how that would be weird to aliens who are like, huh, they're, they're creating these little stories. Yeah. Which is essentially what that is. Um, you might be surprised to know that there's some, some, um, Jarring stats on how much we lie. Um, according to the science channels, the truth about liars, which is a really interesting documentary, one out of every four conversations that last more than 10 minutes will contain a lie. Whoa, this doesn't bode well for our podcast. I was about to say, there's like a, you know, we, we generally go 30 minutes. Uh, so right or 40. So that's what four lies at least. This is my second conversation that's going to be longer than 10 minutes, by the way. So for me, I mean, I've already upped the ante. Uh, men and women line equal portions. Um, and then there's another uh, bit of information out there, again, from that Guardian article, The Truth About Lying and Laughing. And it says that four and five lies remain undetected, that more than 80 percent of people have lied to secure a job, and that more than 60 percent of the population have cheated on their partners at least once. Oh. What? I don't, I mean, maybe I'm just a a Pollyanna over here, but I'm really surprised by that. Um, and then people were invited to keep a detailed diary of every conversation that they had in a two, a two week period. And the results suggested that most people tell about two important lies each day. And that a third of conversations involve some form of deception. Huh. Well, you know, there, I, I can definitely see where there, I mean, what's a big lie? Is like a, a big lie saying like, hey, are you done with that assignment yet? Uh, yeah, it's done. I just need to tweak it a little bit. Yeah, they didn't qualify that, right? Okay, I mean, because yeah. a white lie, we all survive by probably on a daily basis. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, Whether or not you even know you're doing it. It's just part it. of being polite, you know? Right. You want to uh, pretend interest in a particular conversation or um, or just, you know, it's sometimes lying is kind of just a lie by omission, knowing when to keep your trap shut. Well, well, you know, if I'm interviewing someone and mm-hmm. they're going on a long soliloquy about something yeah, and they go, you know, uh, this and yeah. that, I don't sit there and go, no, I don't know. Can you tell me about it instead of me just going to Google later on? I mean, I'm just trying to get an interview out of that person. So yeah. you need those encouraging spurts of, oh, yeah, uh-huh, which we tend to do in conversation anyway. I mean, if you've ever been at a cocktail party and someone starts talking about something, you find yourself, you you, you know, your head nodding in encouragement, yeah. which some people take as like, oh, they know exactly what I'm talking about here. 
I'm, I'm kind of I'm doing it now, right? You are doing it. <laughs> but but uh, but no, yeah, yeah. We uh, we we the lies are an essential part of our, our daily life. Now they are rather different from deception, however. Like just blatant deception is is a little different because you have very simple plants and animals that use deception. Yeah. That have evolved to deceive uh, prey or predators, and in order to uh, to better survive a hostile environment. Right. Um, like it just like a, a, a carnivorous plant that doesn't look like something that's going to eat an insect. It looks like a meal rather than a predator. Like that's an example uh, of very simple deception. Bugs that look like they have eyes on their back, uh, you know, any form of camouflage. That's deception, but it's not necessarily a lie. I mean, it isn't a lie in the case of an insect. Uh, lies tend to involve um, a, a greater brain power. And uh, and you generally need to look to, of course, the masters of, of lies, humans, or uh, some of our uh, hominid uh, brethren. Yeah, actually, uh, that just reminded me of two examples. One is a Porsche spider, which I think they would be great, like, card game players, like a poker yeah. face. Uh, when hunting fellow arachnids, they actually do a little bluffing game. They sneak up on a, an arachnid and they wait until another vibration ripples through the web oh. to disguise their own like a breeze. And then they're able to also mimic the vibrations of other species. So their lunch is fooled into approaching them in the belief that they've actually found a mate. That's, that's oh. a good example. So like the first example is like in a horror movie where the person's in a creaky house. And somebody's following them, but they're keeping pace with their footsteps. Yes. And then suddenly they, they do a, like a misstep and then they hear the creak of the person behind them. Right. Or the wind goes through the door and it makes the door close, you know, creakily close. And little did they know the spider was behind the door. Ah. Yeah. So that's a good example. And then, uh, two apes, Coco and Michael, they both used deception via their sign language skills. In one example, Coco broke out a toy cat or broke a, a toy cat and then signaled to indicate that had been broken by one of her trainers. <laughs> and then another one, Michael ripped a jacket belonging to a trainer. And then when, when he was asked who was responsible, he signed that it was Coco. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you see, I mean, deception is, is a big part of, um, how the animal world and how, how we navigate all of our circumstances. And it definitely gives us an evolutionary uh, leg up, so to speak. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, it comes down uh, in a lot of ways to to being able to empathize, yeah. you know, and the and what we call the theory of mind, which is, you know, the the ability to to look at another animal or 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 human, especially, and and being able to recognize that there is a mind there, and being able and being able to sort of try and put yourself in their shoes, um, trying to figure out like how they are they are seeing the world around them, and then. Of course, lying involves trying to use that to your advantage. Uh, okay, because if you can inhabit that person's worldview, you can better construct a lie or a story. Right. Oh, that's very interesting. Yeah, you can kind of think of like I, I tend to think of the worldviews, people's worldviews, as kind of this bubble that surrounds them. You know, they're like mm-hmm. this artificial reality, um, this virtual world. And and yeah, if you can empathize with somebody, the better you can empathize with somebody, the better you can understand their worldview. And uh, and therefore, you know, you can use that you can use that for a positive effect or uh, or an extremely negative effect, uh, depending on what your uh, your scheme is. But in a way, it's like theory of mind. It's it's in a way it's reading a mind. It's it's being able to see what that mind consists of and uh, and what that person may or may not be thinking about. Well, a anticipating situation. too. Yeah. Right? Anticipation. Yeah. I mean, that's key. That's the I mean, that's the evolutionary point here is that if you can understand what that other person's mind is doing 
then you have the advantage in a survival situation. Yeah. And this is interesting, too, that lying has uh, other psychological benefits. Um, there is scientific evidence that shows that depressive people are more honest with themselves mm-hmm. and uh, than, than non-depressive people or mentally healthy people. And that when people recover from a, dis- a depression, they become less honest, assumably or presumably around the circumstances of that depression. Huh. So I kind of read that as, you know, you, you sort of need to create a story for yourself in order to kind of get over that that bad patch in your life. Huh. Or to a certain extent, like the less you're caring about life, it's it's kind of like you start, you get depressed, maybe you're not caring about your physical appearance as much during that depression. Yeah. And so you're not, you know, you're not doing personal maintenance, but then also by not lying enough, you're, you're falling uh, out on your uh, worldview maintenance. Because a worldview <laughs> needs to be carefully yeah. uh, groomed and uh, and and tweaked with uh, just the right uh, uh, ensemble of lies. That's interesting. Yeah. So you're sitting around and you're in your 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 bathrobe, presumably. Yeah. <laughs> with yeah, with a three day beard, unwashed. Yeah, not lying to yourself. Yeah. And, and it's just a matter of shaving up and and uh, putting on a happy smile, I suppose. Yeah. Um, evolu- and then, yeah, faking it till you make it, right? Yeah, fake it yeah. till you make it. We've talked about that before. Evolutionary biologist David Livingston Smith, also from the documentary um, The Truth About Liars, talks about in biological terminology, you have a deceiver and a sucker. Suckers don't do well. So that, the- that's really his his scientific term. Yes, he okay. says that these are the evolutionary biological terms for lying, a deceiver and a sucker. It's it's uh, pretty highbrow there. Um, so those of us who are especially skilled at manipulating others like politicians, they're, they're like the stage magicians of our fantasies. Mm-hmm. I think that's interesting how he phrased that. Tend to be the most successful people because they're skilled at deception. Mm-hmm. So again, here here we're talking about the, the benefits of lying and that, more, that people who tend to be more successful are better liars. And again, that, that phrase, they're like the stage magicians of our fantasies. Wow. They're, they're creating this world and inhabiting our own worlds, as you pointed out, and presenting a fantasy that we can buy into that we cannot help but buy into because we have something called a truth bias in which we want something to be true. Huh. So we're already sort of, it's weird. We're hardwired to lie, but we're also hardwired to say, yeah, I believe that. I want to believe you. Which makes us like the ultimate suckers. (laughs) So, hey, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, why we are lousy liars. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of tomorrow. And we're back. So why are we lousy liars? Because we cannot help but to give ourselves away uh, in many different ways. One is is micro expressions, which you've probably heard about before. Yeah, this is the whole like thing, like look at somebody's brow while they're talking to you to tell yeah. if they're lying. Yeah, it's look basically at their eyes. like are they fidgeting? Yeah, it, an involuntarily excuse me, an involuntary muscle movement um, that discloses an emotion in under one twenty fifth of a second. Okay, so you have to be particularly adept at, at reading someone's face in order to see this, or you could have like a, a camera and then <laughs> slow mo it and try to figure it out. But people really do. Do this. They cannot help themselves. So if someone is trying to um, hide the fact that they are feeling shocked or they're, they're fearful of something, that emotion is going to cross their face 
flicker across their face, even though they have a huge smile on. And that's another thing to look at, too, is that when someone is smiling, they're engaging their their eye muscles. And so a fake smile, you'll see that the the smile is there, but the eyes aren't actually moving. There's there's very subtle um, indicators there that will show you like that person is is smiling through fear. Um, so that's that's one of the reasons why we're crappy liars. And oh, that's like there was a bit on uh, Modern Family where they were talking about like <laughs> reacting to the other person's jokes and about how they'll be smiling with their their mouth, but not with their eyes. Oh, and, I hadn't seen yeah. that. Yeah. But you, and we've all done it at one point, right? You know how that feels, too. Yeah. It feels weird. You're like, oh, OK, I'm and, doing the thing. And yeah, my because eyes you're, are just... you're trying to I mean, we, you're trying to manually manipulate all of these things that normally occur mm-hmm. naturally. Like when I right. naturally respond to something funny, I'm not really, I'm not cautious. I'm not going, going like, all right, uh, cue smile now. All right, now eyes, look at the person who just made the joke. All right, and then do the ah ha ha, you know, because yeah. like we've taught, you're creeped out by laughter yoga because <laughs> it's, it's fake laughter. Right. It doesn't ring true. And so it's just creepy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you don't have your neurons firing, you know, to those particular muscles saying, Hey, come on guys, let's get engaged because you really think this is funny. Yeah. So it's I'm, a little I'm, bit like having Botox eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, on the other side, unless you're like a complete alien, I guess, and you just have to fake everything. But well, yeah, that yeah. you just steal someone else's face in that yeah. <laughs> circumstance. Um, there's another tell, which is your speech. If uh, you will naturally try to distance yourself from a situation if you are lying, uh-huh. which means the personal pronouns I, me, and myself, you will cease to use which is really interesting. Um, so you're trying to distance yourself. And they've seen this over and over again. There's a scientist named Jeff Hancock, and he plotted um, George Bush's speech patterns and what he said over like a year period. And he found that the months before uh, the Iraq war, that George Bush had a significant drop in the use of what they call truthful pronouns, the I, me, and myself, in the three months preceding the Iraq war. And then when war broke out, you can see on this graph, all of a sudden he went back up to his the, the regular place where he would use those personal pronouns again. So he was in those three months preceding the Iraq war using distancing oh. pronouns. So like before, just lying at the normal level for a politician? And then right before the war, <laughs> yeah. when they're presenting the evidence, the idea is that uh, and the, the justification for the war, the uh, uh, weapons of mass destruction, all that, the the lying was. was yeah, the extrapolation uh, is that when he was talking about weapons of mass destruction, he mm-hmm. was using distancing verbiage, which means which is usually an indicator of lying. OK. And uh, but then when war broke out and he ceased to be talking about weapons of mass destruction and I was talking about the war that the the personal pronouns I, me, and myself, the truthful pronouns returned. Huh. See, now this really makes me think about, again, about like the power of, of language, what we're talking about here. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a bit from uh, uh, one of our Scott Baker's books where he's talking about, he's trying to make a point uh, about uh, about philosophy mm-hmm. and, and about in this fantasy series about magic. He says that Philosophy is the act of making language conform to the world, whereas magic is making the world conform to language. Mm-hmm. And I can't help but feel when we when we tell a lie, that's what we're doing. The latter, we're trying to make the world conform to, to conform to our language. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and in doing that, I mean, it, it's in the same way that in, in a fantasy world, like casting a spell, would require a great deal of physical energy and mental concentration. Telling a lie. Uh, involved seems to involve that as well because we are we are summoning our all of our our mental faculties to 
remake the world, to either remake the past, the mm-hmm. present, or or some semblance of the future. Uh, and, and and again, this may sound a little bit like uh, you know an overstatement of the obvious, but but I, I think it's kind of amazing the, the more you think about it. Like when you tell a lie, you are in a way like wounding the timeline. Yeah, it's interesting. There's a, a field of linguistics called psycholinguistics that mm-hmm. talks specifically about this, which I think we should probably do a podcast on at some point. Um, and it is fascinating. Again, it's the way that we're creating these stories and influencing the way someone thinks about something. Um, and usually we're doing that through speech, but we can also do it through writing. And um, another good way to ferret out lying uh-huh. in writing is that there's a third more use of negative emotions. So we're talking about emails here, mm-hmm. basically. Um, and again, there's the researcher went through all of this data and basically said, look at, you know, you know, here are all these different categories. And what we're beginning to see is that people who are lying in emails, um, for example, have a lot of negative emotions expressed. And there are more references to he, she, and they. Again, there's backing away from the I, mm-hmm. me, and myself. And um, there's actually software being developed uh, by Cornell University to help detect lies in email communications. Oh, wow. And the government's very interested in this, by the way, of course. But it, a general baseline of how you can detect a lie is you can also look for clues like the person is is giving you way too many details. So and, yeah, and again, this I mean, this is like a classic example of I think you see this in. You see this in uh, in various storytelling and yeah. especially in comedies where the person's telling a lie. Mm-hmm. And so they have all this. The setup. They have the setup. They have the story in their head. And if the person's buying the lie without thinking about it, they're like, all right, I get it. You went, you, you didn't go to the video store or whatever, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, it, but, but, it, but it's like in, in the act of creating something that wasn't real, we have to really create it. We have to, uh, uh, we, we have to really engage in, uh, in what, uh, I've seen referred to as mental time travel. Um, oh well, in re- but really, before right before you talk about that, because that's really cool. Um, just like you're talking about in, in setting up that um, that circumstance with uh-huh. the lie, you also will notice that people will start speaking slower because it's giving them more time to think, and they're not using contractions. Right. So yeah. is, I mean, that fascinating that huh. your brain all of a sudden just drops the contractions just to gain like a split second, so it can be like, and uh, yeah, it was red, and uh, yeah, it was nighttime, and yeah, sure, I was here. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's, it's amazing. This, um, this idea of, uh, mental time travel, um, that, uh, that I'm referring to here. Um, let's see, I was reading about this, uh, in behavioral and brain sciences, and it's the work of Thomas Sudendorf and Michael C. Corbalis. And, um, I'm just going to read this quick bit here. He says, uh, they, they're talking about just the, the evolution of, uh, of, uh, of, of human memory and how it works. Uh, this is, uh, to explain why the cognitive arms race seems to have persisted longer in humans than in other primates, uh, resulting in apparently unique cognitive skills, including perhaps mental time travel. Um, a potential explanation is that once early hominins obtained a certain level of ecological dominance, perhaps partially through technological advances, as uh, as discussed earlier, uh, they were faced with increased competition from their own uh, from their own species. Humans uniquely became their own principal hostile force of nature. All right, so that's pretty easy to follow. Right. Basically, we're. Uh, we're in this point where we have to compete with other humans mm-hmm. rather than other animals. All right. Then they continue. This may have resulted in a runway social competition between and within groups towards greater intelligence and enhanced abilities for both cooperation and deception. These may have included the ability to entertain alternate alternative future scenarios, which is basically what they're talking about. Mental time travel. Uh, and this this idea that um, we need to be able to to 
form an idea, a false idea of what may happen in the future so mm-hmm. that we can, you know, we can predict what will happen in the same way that we need to be able to contemplate somebody else's mind in order to outsmart them or manipulate them. Um, but, uh, yeah, and then he also meant, they also mentioned theory of mind and also uh, communication itself. So uh, I, I really like the idea of thinking about it as, uh, as, as mental time travel, you know, and yeah. that, uh, in that when you're telling this lie, you're having to slow down, your, your language is changing, the, the construction is changing because you are, you, you're, you're traveling in time to a certain extent. You're, you're tinkering with, uh, with the timeline. It just really fascinates me. It is, yeah. I mean, that is what you're doing. And again, it's that anticipating and trying to predict the future, which is, is, uh, so, <laughs> so amazing that we're manipulating at that level in those split seconds. Mm-hmm. That to me is, is pretty wondrous. Um, and in every culture too. Yeah. I, I was looking around, I was, I was thinking, is there some sort of language? Like, I was thinking, like, language is, is closely linked to all this. Uh, might there be a culture that does not have lying? And the closest you can, you can come, there, there's a, a tribe called the, uh, Paraha people, um, and they're an indigenous hunter gatherer uh, group in Amazon, and they have a really like uh, a really unique language. Like there's nothing else like it on on Earth. Um, it has just eight consonants, three vowels, um, and you know it's a it's a complex array of tones, stresses, syllables. Um, it can be it can be sung, hum, or whistled, mm-hmm. and it it's striking in the number of things that it doesn't have. Like they don't have numbers. Uh, they don't have uh, concepts of counting. Uh, they they don't have color. Um, the simplest, uh, they have the simplest pronoun inventory that's known. They don't have relative tenses. And, uh, this is really key. They don't have creation myths or fiction. Uh, they, and, uh, and their individual or collective memory is no more than two generations in the past. So it's like, it's very stripped down. And that just the mere fact that they don't have fiction, mm-hmm. that they don't have these creation myths. I was thinking like, maybe this is, maybe they, well, I wonder if they have lies, but they lie all the time. They like the, um, uh, some of the guys that uh, that spent time with them, um, and in particular, like you know, learned their language. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they said, these guys would lie to them all the time just to kid around with them. So I mean, this so is a form of entertainment. Yeah, a form of entertainment, but it's it's also it's it's independent of like linguistic ability. Like I wonder if we were lying to each other, you know, probably before we even had the ability to really converse with. Anything well, I mean, like I, th- I think it's part and parcel of existence, really. Yeah. I mean, you'd have to be a species of one not to lie. You yeah. know, as soon as there are two of you, lies begin, yeah. and, and you know. Call me, um, a negative Nelly, but, um, but I just think it's a, a really important part of being part of a community or a culture or, you know, any sort of really, even an organism, you know, you've got yeah. to be able to cooperate together. And part of that is actually lying. Um, and when I say lying, it's more like social lying in order not to, to hurt someone's feelings or so on and so forth. Or, Correct. You know, yeah. to try to keep, Keep the momentum of, of, uh, what you're trying to create together going. Um, I did want to mention a couple of technologies that can help detect lying. And we all know lie detectors. That's, that's the, probably the first thing people think of. MRI. Um, yeah. you know, that's been used. Actually, that's used in India, I believe, in their court systems. Um, not, I don't believe there's any other country that has adopted that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. We talked about this in a previous podcast. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, but then there's something called a laser Doppler vibrometer, Ooh, which okay. just sounds weird. And it's a laser directed at the carotid artery, which uh-huh. is your main blood flow to the brain. And it measures, uh, blood flow and heart rate and is intended for use in interrogation and border crossings and security checks. Huh. So again, there are ways to, 
to figure out, you know, from a behavioral perspective, if someone's lying and then there's all these different things physiological that we can look at. Um, there's a, something else called an interrogator simulator, and that uses thermal imaging to measure breathing and blood flow around the eyes. Because uh, when we're stressed, our blood flow changes, and you can really see that in those areas. And then at the same time that it's uh, measuring all these things, there's a computer that asks questions and then assesses these physiological responses. Wow. So again, it's like they're minor little acts of sorcery that we carry out because they're yes. they're 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 kind of unnatural. They're little unnatural acts that uh, that change the world around us. Yes, and yet still that you know humans are so variable that any one technology you could probably beat. Right. There's not there's no bulletproof method here so far. So which leads me to the whole uh, point here is that if you if you want to lie with gusto, there are a a couple of different things that you can do to make it convincing. Okay. Okay. So one is don't. And I'm not saying, hey, go out and lie. I really am not. (laughs) I'm not advocating that. Um, But if you were to, you would want to not deviate from your behavior baseline. Okay. Okay. So that means like, you know, if you usually react in one way to something, you, you want to be pretty consistent. Like if you're, if, if you're generally seated at a meeting, don't stand up to lie. Yes. That is going to <laughs> <laughs> warrant you uh, a lot of, uh, of, of unwanted notice. Or put right on a there. special hat when it's, when you decide to lie to everyone. Yeah. You put yeah. a liar hat on it. It says, I'm lying right now. <laughs> don't, don't put that hat on. Um, this is interesting. Develop a rapport with a person with whom you are lying to. Oh. Which is again, it's that whole like you were talking about empathizing, yeah, and and trying to inhabit that person's world, because then once that person feels some sort of connection with you and that you understand, um, or you understand that person, that they're less likely to say, oh yeah, they're they you know they're lying, yeah, because you're like no, huh. they wouldn't lie to me. We've got a rapport going. Uh, again, not too many details. And then this was really interesting. There was a Russian spy who was undergoing a polygraph from the U.S. government. And uh, he asked his his Russian counterparts for advice. And what they told him was surprisingly uh, simple and elegant, which was get a good night's sleep and rest and go into the test rested and relaxed. Be nice to the polygraph examiner, develop a rapport and be cooperative and try to maintain your calm. And he passed with flying colors. Wow. So sometimes it's just as simple as that, it's just, which is actually not so simple because you're regulating your your uh, your, your blood pressure and, and your heart rate and all that good stuff. You know, another example that comes to mind of of uh, of uh, the, the telltale of a lie being that uh, the uh, the liar has added a lot of extra information mm-hmm. is uh, when you have people um, call or these days it's more email in sick for the day. Oh yeah, it seems like uh, uh, my past experiences uh, with this as a, as a manager uh, were that. Where that, that, you know, if someone needs a sick day, they'd be like, I'm sick. I can't come to work today. And you're like, all right, that's right. fine. But if it's a, like a long explanation where it's like, I woke this morning, I couldn't get out of bed. And then I had to, you know, it's like if you, if, if it's a whole paragraph of explanation and then, then your, uh, uh, your malarkey, uh, uh, alarm starts to go well, off in your head. I, I'll you know? also say, I will add to that too, having managed for, for a couple of years now, um, that if, if the term diarrhea is included <laughs> in there, that's a tell. Yeah. Cause that no one wants to ask. No one will question that. it. Yeah. They're like, oh, diarrhea, say no more. Yeah. <laughs> Cause yeah, nobody has ever responded with, do you really have diarrhea? Yeah. 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 No. And, but you know, you gotta be pretty close to your, uh, to manage, to your manager to say, I have diarrhea in, well, in the first place. Well, not necessarily. I think you can, that's the thing. You throw it out there and it's like, whoa, they told me they had diarrhea. 
that's that's some. Yeah, it's a back away thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I there think, you go. Another tip. Yeah, I think it would actually work. Yeah, I think it would work better on people that you're not uh, that well acquainted with. There's more of a shock factor. Yeah. 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 All right, let's get to some more shock factors uh, with some listener mail. Oh, are we there already? Oh, we are. Unless you have. Oh. Um, let me think. I mean, basically, it's just such a, a rich subject. I, mean, oh, I, I feel like we could just go on and on about well, it. We could. But... We could talk about kids and how they develop lying and yeah. how they're, you know, not the instant cherubs that we know them to be, although they're pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, and, and also the whole, you're talking about, like, how do you get good at lying? I mean, there's a whole other podcast we're going to get to about false memories. But yeah. but that's that ties into a number of these things here. Like, you get into the whole situation of, like, how many times do you have to lie to yourself before you believe it? The yep. lies we tell ourselves and then believe to, to, to get through, through life. And exactly. And also the formation of false memories is, is very much tied into this idea of mental time travel and yep. that I'm going to uh, predict the future and create this version of the future and uh, play around with it. Yeah. And self-deception and cognitive yeah. dissonance, right? Yeah. Trying to lessen those uncomfortable feelings that you have by lying, lying, lying. All right. Yeah. Let's hit the listener email. First up, we have an email from Andrew. Andrew says, Hi, guys. I'm a 15-year-old from the UK and was wondering if you had any suggestions for books I could read. You often cite books on your show. So, and then the email cuts off. But then he emails back. Uh, I know that you should have some good suggestions for me. Thanks in advance, Andrew. Um, sorry about the email being in two parts. Also, physics is my favorite subject. Smiley face. All right. Andrew, uh, well, what are your suggestions? Well, um, along the physics line. Uh, one book that comes to mind is The Physics of Superheroes by James Kakalios. That's K-A-K-A-L-I-O-S. Uh, he's the author of The Amazing Story of Quantum Mechanics. And, uh, yeah, this is, a, it's, this is a really cool book. Like, he just goes through, like, various examples of superhero powers and goes really in-depth about how it might work or why it would work. And it's, uh, it's, it's really entertaining and it's chock full of physics. Uh, and then just in general, like, in terms of, you know, we, we've talked before about how science fiction and uh, science are closely uh, interlinked. I feel like 15 years old, that's the perfect time to read uh, to read Dune if you haven't already. Uh, ah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's your go-to, right? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's like I can't, how can I recommend anything else without having first recommended Dune, right? Yeah, it's true, it's true. Uh, for me, I would say check out a book called The Big Questions Physics by Michael Brooks. It's pretty cool. It kind of uh, couches all the different questions and physics in a, in a really interesting way. Um engaging way like what is time um is one of the uh, the questions that it tries to answer um do we live in a simulation we've talked about that before am i unique what is the god particle um those are all really interesting physics related questions that uh, michael brooks tries to answer and somewhat related is john horgan's rational mysticism uh, that is spirituality meets science in the search for enlightenment again the god particle is discussed in that mm-hmm. so if you're really heavy andrew you can you can uh, switch over to john horgan's rational mysticism it's good stuff all right so we're going to go ahead and wrap it up i'm going to remind everybody to check out our facebook and twitter page uh we are blow the mind on both of those and we put a lot of work into making sure there are all sorts of cool links uh to uh to stuff on the web as well as updates on what we're working on so be sure to check that out if you enjoy the show and feel free to drop us a line at blow the mind at howstuffworks.com Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.